Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to FASD Hope. I am so thrilled to be speaking with today's guests. We are FASD advocacy around the globe. And today we will be visiting the Netherlands, where my two guests are very active in the FASD advocacy community through a podcast, through a book, and just through many uh, advocacy efforts. So I am honored today to welcome to FASD Hope, Luca Schutt and Demi Munter of the FAS Project in the Netherlands. Luca and Demi, welcome to FASD Hope. Thanks so much. Thanks. Perfect pronunciation. (laughs) Yay, I've been practicing. (laughs) Yay. Yay. So I'm so happy that you both are here today to talk about your important work that you're doing. So I'm going to start with Luca, and uh, I'd like you both to share um, how you started on your, your FASD journey. We'll start with Luca, and then we'll go to Demi. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having us. And uh, now we can tell about our FAS journey. Um, Well, my journey began recently, like uh, last year, I became the project coordinator of the FAS project. Uh, Before that, I uh, already did a lot of work with youngsters and with children. Uh, My background in my study is uh, I did a a master's uh, called Youth at Risk. It's about preventative youth care and healthy development of youth. Uh, and before I was, I became the, the project coordinator of the FAS project, I was a tutor at a high school. Uh, and that was part of a school intervention for children uh, who developed an educational disadvantage uh, because um, the growing inequality of opportunities in Dutch education. Uh, and before yeah, that I, I worked a lot with children, um, uh, for example, as a volunteer for uh, children and youngsters uh, for who, who is it's not a given to go on a holiday because of their personal situation or because of social emotional disorders. Um, well, and after the tutoring, uh, I came in contact with the FAS project through my master's program. Um, yeah, and it's really a place for more knowledge, support, and recognition of FAS. And also for me personally, personally, it was really eye-opening because I had never heard about FAS itself. So, uh, yeah, I knew drinking alcohol was a no-go, but I didn't know the big impact it could have on the child. And I also did not know that it could have such an impact in such an early stage. Um, and also like the, the the misunderstandings about that it could have no harm before the placenta is there. Uh, yeah, I was really, uh, yeah, it, it shocked me. And I, I was really like, well, we have a lot to tell and a lot of great work has been done in the past eight years because the project is now eight to 10 years active. Uh, so I really wanted to, uh, to yeah, continue on that. And, that yes, I really have something to tell here. And also 
private in my own environment. Um, well, my sister got pregnant this year, so uh, I was so glad that I could that I had the knowledge to tell yeah to her all the information I I have learned this year uh, about FAS and all these all these children uh, uh, affected by it, and also the the parents and uh, in the professional fields. So that's real short what my journey is. And I will tell a lot more about the, the project itself in the, yeah. Wonderful. In the next, uh, next moments, yeah. Wonderful. And, and Luca, once you learn about FASD, you, you, you can't go back. You know, once you learn no. about <laughs> it, you just want to keep going forward. So I'm so, so thankful to hear that. Demi, can you share a little bit about your journey? Um, yes, um, well, uh, I uh, became a foster mother in, uh, to a child with uh, FASD. It was in 2011, and uh, at the time it was uh, not known that he had FASD. Um, but it was known that the mother was a heroin addict. And after the placement, there were already big problems. Um, he was put on a heart monitor uh, because he had a high risk of cot uh, death. And uh, he spent seven weeks in uh, intensive care until um, uh, where he also received the methadone um, uh, program uh, yeah, because of his biological mother's addiction. And um, because of many uh, withdrawal systems, uh, many systems of FASD were not recognized. Uh, so uh, he cried a lot. Uh, he, he cried so hard that uh, he only made a rasping sound. Uh, um, yeah, because it was, uh, he was in a lot of pain. And um, he uh, trembled uh, and, and overstretched himself. He stretched out his arms and legs and uh, became completely uh, rigid. Uh, he had a very bad start. Um, he always had diarrhea. He threw up a lot. Uh, he was always crying. Um, that was the only way of expressing uh, himself. And he had a very claiming behavior. Um, also a very weak teeth. His teeth just broke off. Um, he had an eye def uh, defect, so um, he was cross-eyed, and um, he did not uh, know uh, the um, yeah, cause and effect. So, um, yeah, he, he put himself in a lot of danger all the time. Um, and, um, yeah, I asked for help at the time, but... Uh, uh, everything was always diagnosed on the disturbed attachments because of his yeah, bad start and the way the pregnancy of his mother went. And uh, eventually I ended up at uh, the youth uh, psychiatry and there um, they gave him EMDR uh, therapy and this changed his behavior a little bit. But I still had the feeling that there was uh, yeah, more to it. And uh, finally, I saw a, a fragment in a, a news broadcast about uh, the book from the FASD project in the Netherlands. And um, in this book, there were a lot of pictures uh, shown uh, and, and stories, uh, yeah, backstories about these children. And at 
on the television screen, I saw a picture of a girl, which, yeah, immediately I could recognize the face, uh, the, the, the face, the, the symptoms in the, in the face, um, the expression. It, yeah, it could be a twin sister of my uh, foster son. So at that point, I, um, yeah, I had uh, uh, the link to FASD and that was the uh, first time that I heard about the consequences of alcohol during pregnancy. And the biological mother of my foster son was uh, pregnant again right away after she gave birth to my foster son. So uh, at one uh, in the beginning, there was um, like, um, yeah, there were several meetings uh, for um, arranged by the foster care organization. And one time I had to pick up her at uh, the train station and I saw her drinking alcohol. It was a can of beer from half a, a liter. And I saw it drinking in, in at once, um, uh, yeah, at the moment that she didn't not, uh, she, she didn't notice me. So I was for sure that she had, she drinks during pregnancy. So it must have been done uh, during the pregnancy of my foster son as yeah, she did it with his little brother's pregnancy. Um, so um, yeah, at that time, I uh, once I understood that he might, that his behavior could might have become from FASD, I immediately, uh, immediately requested an examination and it turned out that he had full FASD. So that was the, the, the journey uh, about um, the, the first moments that I found out that he had FASD and we had a diagnosis and we could yeah, continue further in, in our search. And, and Damie, what you are sharing is what so many parents share, including, you know, our story is that we often see in fetal alcohol exposure, we often see those, those physical, those medical symptoms first, especially when they're very, very young gastro symptoms, sensory symptoms, we see those first. And then as dental, uh, we know that there are over 400 medical conditions that are associated with an FASD. So hearing you share that and share that about your foster son, it definitely, I know it resonates with me, but it will also resonate with our listeners. And also what you're sharing is the need. Again, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about education for everybody about fetal alcohol. And this needs to happen on a, on a large level, you know, on a global level, not just a, a city or a county or, or a province. This needs to happen large because like you are saying, Damien, like Luca said, uh, you don't really learn about FASD until it comes to you, honestly. And once you learn, then, you know, again, like, like I was saying with Luca, you, once you learn about it, you, you can't turn back and, and go say, okay, I, I know about it, but let's go back to, 
you know, how it was. No. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And before we start talking about FASD in the Netherlands, Damie, when did you switch? When did you go from being a parent, being a foster parent to saying, I would like to advocate for for these children? Um, well, um, when I had the diagnosis, um, I started to, to look for help. Um, and everywhere I went, they didn't know what FASD was. And it made me so frustrated that I started to find out uh, everything. I spent days of reading everything I could find on the internet about FASD and um, what help the child needed and what therapies worked or didn't work, uh, which uh, examinations had to be requested at the hospital. And uh, in the end, I had to educate the specialists about FASD. And I told them what they had to uh, examine the child for. And um, I noticed that when everything was well organized around my foster child with FASD, he uh, functions very well and, and made progress. So uh, then I started to do everything that was in my power to make the world around him as perfect as uh, possible. And um, yeah, tried everything I could to um, yeah, organize uh, the, the help for him and um, uh, make sure that um, uh, that I was well educated uh, before I uh, was uh, misinformed by uh, specialists that yeah, were not well educated about FASD. So I was, um, yeah, I was forced about this, uh, yeah, yeah, because of the situation, I was forced to, to become a specialist myself. Yes, yes. And, and Damie, that's what so many parents say on, on our podcast and through emails and, and messages that they had to become the specialist because, you know, the, the clinicians, the professionals did not know about FASD. So I, I'm very thankful you're sharing that. And I'm also very thankful that you are a parent advocate, because, again, we know that so many people do not know about FASD or they're misinformed. And when we become educated and informed, we often find that other parents are usually the most helpful on this journey. So, so I thank you for sharing that, that I, I'm really appreciative of you doing that, uh, not only for your foster son, but, you know, for your community. So let's go back to Luca. Luca, what do FASD statistics look like in the Netherlands? We're talking about, you know, educating and we're talking about um, just what are some of the statistics and, and facts that you can share with us about FASD in the Netherlands? Yeah, well, that's, uh, I think, the main point that's uh, really hard to, to specifically say because, yeah, we, there are no clear numbers about the prevalence of FASD in the Netherlands because there have not been Dutch studies uh, here about FASD. So we have to do it with, uh, with the global numbers. Um, now, well, obviously, as I said, this is a direct part of the problem. And also by this, it contributes to the, yeah, the many under misdiagnosis of FASD. Uh, because there is still so little knowledge. Uh, so, yeah, there are estimations about the prevalence of FAS 
per country. So based on these numbers, we can say something about the Netherlands. Um, and it's in, it is estimated that in the Netherlands, from re research, uh, 135 to 500 children with FAS are born. So almost three per thousand persons in the Dutch population. And uh, also studies show that FASD is five to six times more common than FAS. So that would mean that at least 30, 13 on thousand persons in the Netherlands have FASD. So that's yes. 1.3%. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a shame that, that we have so little clear numbers, but it's also a sign that the numbers are way higher than we may be now can estimate. Yes. And, and we know with our statistics here in the state, our statistics that we estimate is one in 20 children. Yeah, you know? I read and, that. Yeah. And, and that estimate is considered conservative. It's considered, and, and mm -hmm. the three of us know that for every child that's diagnosed, there, there are thousands and thousands that aren't diagnosed. And, and those are the children, yeah. especially the children that don't have those facial features or who don't have those outward exactly. medical signs. Those are the children that, that we need to really advocate for, because then people think that what they're doing is and I'm using air quotes, bad behavior instead of symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, of, of that alcohol exposure. Yes. And these are the talks I have every day with all the, all the parents involved in, in the project too, because yeah, maybe that's something to tell about. Yeah. The angle is really to tell those stories of the children and their families. And, and it's all based on, on experience. Yeah. Experts by experience. So, uh, to really tell the stories from yeah, the children's perspective and the parents' perspective. But these these talks about the, the struggle struggles and uh, yeah, what, um, what you say about that it that it looks like a behavioral problem when it's a physical problem, and that's that that is causing the behavior. We always say, yeah, there are so many more children maybe affected by alcohol harm. Yes. Then, then we think, and and I don't know. I think it's maybe everywhere, but especially in the Netherlands, the the the, the system for youth care and for yeah, it's really uh, on on on. How do you say it? Uh, islands. They're not really communicating yeah. with each other as yeah. well as isolated. We, uh, yeah. Yeah, isolated. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. and and then a child gets a diagnosis, and then from the diagnosis they uh, go into treatment, and then they get another diagnosis, and they, and they don't look at the whole picture. Or the question, how maybe how was the pregnancy, or how was the first period in the child's life? That's a question that is not really asked often, and especially not when the mother has not a background of alcohol uh, problems then maybe the mother is not aware herself too, you know? So it's, yeah, it's really complicated. Yes. yes. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up, Luca, because this, this really ties into my next question. And, and Damie spoke about this a little bit too. So we know here in the United States, we are working very hard at national legislation to get FASD recognized, you know, as a diagnosable developmental disability and to get funding for research and supports and things like that 
here in the United States, it's really much, you know, some states have a little bit of better supports than others, you know, but but like you said, it's really it's really isolated. There's no systemic type of care that's addressed for FASD. Mm-hmm. If there are any kinds of supports, I mean, so obviously, Luca, the work that you and Damien are doing is, is a huge support for, for other families. That's, that's a huge support. So we know parents are, are big supports for each other. In the Netherlands, are there any other types of supports or services for children with FASD? Um, well, you have like uh, support uh, of information. So there are uh, like for the uh, FASD project where uh, uh, Luke is working on, uh, but also there's uh, a website with, with information. And um, yeah, what really is missing is that you have uh, like a a point where they can give you um, yeah, the, the real support that they, that there is that the focus is on FASD. So there is no real support or service. You have a FASD outpatient clinic uh, where your child is diagnosed, but after your diagnosis, you have to find uh, help yourself. So uh, there is no help uh, for FASD children, but you have to use help that overlaps. Um, I had to use uh, the disability care uh, help for autism and and, uh, ADHD. Um, And I miss that uh, guidance very much. Uh, But now I'm grateful that I have gained the current knowledge about FASD. uh, And and now I can uh, use this to help others. because yeah you are very much lost uh, when you have yeah when you have a child that has FASD you can find information but nobody is uh, guiding you uh, anywhere you have a list of symptoms and uh, you can find a, a therapist that maybe could be of some help but it's constantly searching for what's working for my child and, and what's not. So yes. that is still something that is, uh, yeah, if you compare it to help that uh, the, the help, the, the, the care that they have for autism children, that's so uh, well known and, and there's so much um, organized for, for these group of children. And yeah, for, for the FASD children, there is nothing not, not so much organized. It's constant. Yeah. You have to borrow other um, uh, services to yes. yeah to to find what's working for your child. So that's very complicated. Uh, Damien, yeah. I'm very thankful that you're bringing this up because a lot of parents and professionals share that that. When you get that FASD diagnosis, you know, there, there really is no formal clinical pathway as to, okay, here's what you do next. I mean, maybe like you said, you find a therapist or maybe you find somebody who, who's a little bit educated, but this is a global theme. So I'm, I'm finding this not just, you know, in the United States or in North America, but this is a global theme that many parents, they seek to get services from other 
organized disability organizations such as ADHD or autism, especially. Yet we know as parents and as as advocates that the prevalence of FASD is more than autism or ADHD. Yeah. Yes. Or uh, Down syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. Yet their, you know, organizations are so much better funded and organized and whatnot. So what you both are saying really reflects that global systemic need for FASD support and FASD education. Luca, what else did, can you share about what Damie is talking about? Well, nothing really uh, specific adding up to that, but um yeah, as she said, if we if we sum it up, you have the you have the first patient link where you get the diagnosis. But after that, I hear from a lot of parents. Yeah, they say you can go to that for more information, to that for more information. But then, yeah, there it ends. Then they are on their own. Uh, they we also have a link with them, so they can refer to us. And you have also the foundation and that's more patient association so yeah also really an advocacy club uh, club for people um who are advocating for for the people with fasd and there's also have a lot of expertise and also information but are also not yeah for specific treatment or specific treatment referrals you know you you really have to uh, yeah um what Damie said borrow it from other uh, uh, from organizations where they know about what works for children with autism and might also work for children with FASD, but might also not work, you know? So it's, yeah, really uh, screaming in the desert. That's what a, what, what a mother also, also said. Like it's a quote. Yeah, yeah, I like that quote. And it's very true. You're you're screaming in the middle of nowhere because, you know, nobody else except for other parents understand, mm-hmm. you know, that isolation that comes with after having that diagnosis. So Luca and Damie, before we start talking specifically about the podcast and the book, let's have a backstory about the FAS project. Yeah, so like the the FAS project is an initiative from a, a bigger yeah well it's not a big foundation but <laughs> a bigger foundation it's literally tla- translated as the white forest so uh, its founder Allard Allard Witte and Joost Bos they came in contact with the foster mom and uh, she told them about the consequences of alcohol use during pregnancy and. Yeah, Allard is a photographer and it really uh, struck him and it got him so much. And as he is a photographer, he wanted to really show and capture the impact of the syndrome and uh, on the lives of these children and how they experience it and tell their stories. Uh, So that's where it started with the idea to make a book about these children, to make a photography book. And in 2000. Uh, 14 this book uh, launched and it's got a, a lot of publicity because also in the Netherlands yeah um, what is this syndrome a, a lot of talk shows and um, a lot of expositions uh, so then the project had the opportunity to, to get bigger and to build on this um, and yeah well t- the the biggest uh, motivation was to raise more awareness about this syndrome uh, with from the angle to tell the stories um, 
about the lives of these children, about their own perspective. So um, the project has a lot of uh, project elements and each year we see where needs are from talk a lot with parents, we talk a lot with professionals. Uh, so what can uh, get better? What can we expand? So, uh, well, I, me as the coordinator, I'm responsible for every single project element, but the main uh, task in that is coordinating the body project. So that's also a big element in the project. And there students with a healthcare or care background, such as a pedagogy, a psychology uh, background, they become buddies for a child or a youngster with FASD. Um, so yeah, that's from the motivation that these ch children and youngsters really have someone who's there for them. And really that's one-on-one -on -one contact and all the attention they want and need. Uh, and uh, the, the body project is really also a community uh, place uh, where parents are in contact with each other. And we also uh, close this with a, with a, an event to uh, show what, what, we, what we did with each other during the, the bodies project and what the children made and what the activities they have done together. So that's really for fun and giving these children attention and also giving uh, the families a, a little bit of a breath to, and a pause. That's a wonderful yeah. initiative. That's, I, I would love to see something like that catch on here in the States, in the United States. Yeah, and it, we have, like, in the Buddies Project, we have smaller projects uh, on which the, the, the couples can uh, do. So, flogging, uh, but also a photo diary, uh, and also a journal uh, for, the, for the older, um, the young adults with FASD, they can participate in the FAS journal. So, it's like a sort of journal paper they make. Uh, with each other like yeah sort of a small newspaper and it's about the team and this year the team is fast and love it's about contact about friendship about what it means for them about what it means for them uh, to have a, maybe a boy or a girlfriend with FASD but also to have friendships and what is difficult or maybe what is exactly the same and tips for moms and dads <laughs> to uh, yeah so that's something they can make uh, all, yeah, how they want to tell it and what they want to tell in it. They can decide and we coordinate it and the buddies uh, also guide the, the youngsters. So that's a really fun pro a small project in the body project two, for example. Uh, and next to this, we are continuously busy with raising awareness. We have an educational project on, on um, universities so we give lectures uh, about FAS and um, at the schools and this is yeah we I think we give 12 to, to 14 lectures per school year and we also give uh, readings and organize expositions in the professional field so at healthcare organizations or youth care organizations yeah so that's a big part of the project too and these are two main pillars and yeah well the, the the podcast is like an example of something that this is what we have to make and uh, so each year new elements are added and also the books 
uh, there was more of a need of scientific knowledge, but we made so we made the combination of it with um, experience stories, uh, and that's also a Dutch books. It's it's zero percent alcohol and pregnancy. That's that's the name of it, but that's why we made that book, and we have another book about adults with FASD because they have a lot of stories too, and a a lot of adults with FASD get the diagnosis when they're maybe 50 or 40 and have a life long with so many experiences. So yeah, that's in short what the project yeah, is all about. It's all about the, 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 the stories of those people affected by it. That is That is wonderful. And Luca, it sounds like you all have so many initiatives. It, you, you all are very busy advocating. And um, mm-hmm. that, that just, uh, that's, so, uh, that's so reassuring to hear. Damie, I remember you said that you learned about, a part of your learning was through the, the FAS Project book. Can you share a little bit about that? I was at a point that I had no uh, clue what was going on with, with my foster child. So uh, we tried so many different therapies and um, uh, yeah, it, it, turned, it didn't turn out uh, to uh, you know, a diagnosis that I thought uh, we can work uh, on. So at the moment I saw on this uh, news broadcast, the, there was an uh, interview about a book. Uh, it, yeah, it was a coincidence that I saw it. That at, at that time I was putting on the, the, the television and I saw this news item. And because of the picture of uh, this girl, uh, Mila, that was in, uh, in the book uh, uh, cover, um, I compared her face with the face of my foster son and the facial features, they were matching so well, they, they could be twins. So that for me, there was the first link that I thought, oh, maybe he has uh, FASD, the, the, the problems that he has have came from the alcohol that his mother uh, drank because she was a heroin addict, but uh, the, the chance that she also, uh, when she could not find uh, her drugs, alcohol was very easy to, to find, uh, to, to compensate it. So immediately I could imagine that she must have been using alcohol during her pregnancy as well as the, uh, the drugs that she used. So uh, yeah, everything moved from uh, to the direction of FASD. And, and at first when I asked the, um, uh, the, the therapist that, I, that was at the uh, youth uh, psychiatry, yeah, at first she was looking at me with, with, with big eyes, uh, yeah, like that she could not imagine uh, that, that I was correct, but I, uh, yeah, I forced her to arrange this examination, and um, yeah, immediately uh, all the, the, the the symptoms. He was uh, positive on on almost every symptom, and um, yeah, we I knew 
uh, that this was the right direction, we had to search for what was wrong with him because, um, yeah, if I didn't see that picture uh, that day uh, from the uh, FASD project, the book, if I didn't see it, I'm, I'm not sure if I would be in the same place as I am now because maybe I was still searching and, and still was working uh, through all the problems or maybe I would have stopped being foster mother, right? that I stopped the foster care because I couldn't manage it anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for the book and, and for the uh, news item on that uh, uh, that was broadcasted that day because otherwise uh, I, I I don't know where I would have been. I would have maybe I would have lost the child also because it was a very hard and difficult time back then. I had so many moments that I had uh, serious thoughts to stop. Uh, being uh, the foster mother because it was so hard to um, to take care of him. It, it, yeah, it was such a complicated boy. Yes. And now I'm so happy that I I have learned and 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 uh, been educated uh, uh, so well now because he is he had made so much progress and we as a family made so much progress. And um, when by organizing everything around him, he is yeah, a very uh, happy boy. And we, yeah, in, in my point of view, we have a very normal uh, family situation now. And, uh, and it's all because I uh, understand this boy now. And yeah, that was all because I was pushed in the right direction. Yes. And that, that book gave you education and it enlightened you and it, and it, and it gave your family hope, you know, it gave you hope and, and started you on the road to learning about more about FASD. And, and um, so the FAS project book is, and, and was for you a wonderful resource and a wonderful start to, to get that education. Luca, can you share a little portion from the FAS project book? Yeah, of course. And the story Demi tells, it's so, of course, wonderful that uh, through this project, she got this diagnosis, but I think it's all about recognition. And that's also the main point of the book. Uh, so it's a it's a photography book um, and it's translated in English uh, and German and it gives a really personal and affectionate insight into uh, the lives of children with FASD and it has many touching and amusing portraits of these children and also three short atmospheric stories about Isaiah, Lorenzo and Mila and these three are also we have like the red threads in our project is that we follow five main characters, um, uh, children with FAS or FASD, uh, follow them into adulthood. And yeah, all the journeys they, um, and all the, the challenges they get, uh, come along. Um, and also in cooperation with several professionals, three small chapters in the book talk about diagnosing uh, FAS. 
prevention and prevalence of FAS and the public view of alcohol and the responsibility of society. But uh, I think maybe it's nice to read a small uh, piece in the book. Uh, it's a part of the short story and it's about Mila. Read something. Um, it's about, it's called Trampoline. Mila is bouncing on the trampoline with her big brother, Jacob. She squeals with joy, shrieking until her voice cracks. At the same time, she's bossing Jacob around, telling him exactly what to do, how high he should jump, where he should jump, when he should jump and when not. This little princess, who is light as a feather, rules her kingdom with an iron fist. Stopping is not an option. It's just too much fun. Even when Jacob walks away after half an hour, thirsty and bored, tired of jumping and being bossed around, Mila keeps going, jumping, bouncing, prancing, the fire burning in her eyes. She doesn't notice that one eye is pointing in a different direction. For her, the rest of the world has long since ceased to exist. Ten minutes later, her legs give out and she just lays there on a trampoline, panting. She cries without tears and squeaks like a small wild animal, her hair sticking to her sweaty brow. She has long since reached her limit, but she doesn't know that. Mila knows no limits. It's not an option for her to stop of her own accord. She can only stop doing something that's fun if she's forced to, if someone ties her down, locks her up, or if, someone, or if her body simply can keep up any longer. Two strong arms pick up the little cramping body and carry her out of the temptation's way, safely pressed against her mother. The squeaking gradually turns into sobbing. After a large glass of lemonade, Mila is back in our world. Then, all of a sudden, tears. Her mother's comforting hand strokes her hair and wipes snot from her face. A deep sigh. Then Mila looks up. Can I go back on the trampoline? So that's uh, a small part about Mila. What, a, what an yeah. amazing uh, story. Because I, you know, listening to it as a parent, I hear so many aspects of what, you know, we've, we've been through, you know, when our son was much younger. And I'm sure other families who are listening to this can relate so much to so many points in that story. And the way that it's told is so uh, beautifully narrated too yeah so that's also the 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 medium or yeah we we uh, make use of impact storytelling so that's also because uh, yeah what's the project about and um yeah this this book next to the the these short stories it's also informative as i told the, the chapters about prevention and the public view of, uh, about alcohol and society so yeah, a lot of pictures, the the, the stories. So it's it, it yeah, we think it's so interesting for a lot of organization to have this book, or to put it somewhere that people can can see it or grab it. Yeah. So we are going to share this week as this episode airs. We're going to share how you can. Uh, purchase this book, or if you're an organization, how you want to learn more about getting this book, we're going to share some links in our program notes, as well as 
in our social media post this week um, about this book. It, it just, again, it sounds like it's such a resource and it's such a creative resource too. Uh, and, and, and I really appreciate that. So before we start wrapping up our conversation today, let's start with Damey. What do you want? We, we have, we're thankful to have a global audience. What do you want the rest of the world to know about FASD in the Netherlands from, from your perspective? Well, um, at uh, present, many women only stop drinking alcohol after their uh, pregnancy test is positive. Uh, at that point, they are at least four weeks pregnant and all the alcohol that has been consumed affects the fetus uh, and, and gives the child FASD. So uh, this piece of awareness is simply uh, not there. Uh, in the Netherlands, uh, the alcohol is uh, socially accepted. So uh, when there is something to celebrate, we do it with a beer or a glass of wine. And uh, yeah, we need to be made aware that if you are trying to get pregnant or if you could possibly become pregnant or became, uh, you should stop drinking alcohol immediately and not just stop when the pregnancy test is positive. Um, that is something that is not well known. I see it in my own environment um, that, you know, women only stop drinking alcohol after they, uh, their pregnancy test is uh, positive. There are, um, they drink with quotes like, uh, now I can uh, uh, drink the wine because when I'm pregnant, I can't. But <laughs> they don't know, maybe they are already four weeks pregnant. Um, <clears throat> but there are also situations that women... Um, find out that they are pregnant and uh, at the end of the first trimester. So after the child is born and they uh, have difficulties or the child has difficulties in school, they will never think back on that period uh, in the first trimester that they had that they drunk alcohol without noticing that they were pregnant. So yeah, what, yeah, what I, my, I think what I see on television, there are so many um, information about do not smoke uh, uh, when you are pregnant. Um, please don't uh, eat uh, raw uh, meat. Uh, there, there's a lot of information that you should not do during your pregnancy. And alcohol is just um, a small noticed in that list but it should have been the first noticed and the biggest notice because if you drink alcohol during your pregnancy it immediately harm your child in yeah in in, in a way that you could not um uh, yeah you could not uh, think of yeah and um yeah that's something that that uh, yeah, that nobody is thinking about that when the child has difficulties in school, and there, yeah, the, the specialists are also not asking about, uh, yeah, if if the mother had drinking uh, alcohol in the first trimester. So it it really needs more education, and that is something that I um, 
once uh, yeah uh, that is something that I hope that it will become more well known. Yes, exactly, exactly, and 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 that's something that so many people share too, Amy. Is that we know that there are so many pregnancies that are un, unplanned and you know not you know people don't expect uh, the pregnancy and and they need to think back to did I drink during that that time when I didn't know I was pregnant. So so thank you for sharing that, Amy. Yes, there's such a need for that. Luca, how about you? What do you want people to know about FASD in the Netherlands? Yeah, I think the message Amy said also applies uh, for me. I think what I really want to say, it's also personally in my environment, but uh, also in my job um, for advocating for these kids, uh, that this message accounts for every woman. So also uh, socially drinking uh, women, Every woman and every also men play a part in this, uh, and everyone could get touched by FSD or could get in, come in contact with it. How, uh, in what way, uh, ever, uh, and really be aware of what Amy said that if you want to get pregnant, you should make healthy decisions for the sake of your child. child. And I also heard in a webinar someone say. Uh, do you want the chance of a healthy child, of your healthy child, to be 99% or 100%? Yeah, why why take the risk? And that's why it's so important to have the right knowledge because there's a lot of uh, not, yeah, r- r- uh, I don't know if you say it like <laughs> right, but wrong knowledge yes. about Mis- this. Misinformation, Incorrect yes. knowledge, yes. yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so that's really a, a message. And for professionals, also, what I uh, get uh, um, or take out of the stories I hear from parents, listen to the parents or caregivers because they know best. They are every every minute of the day with their child. And that's because FASD is so complicated. And also in the behavior, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there. And they're so also in many moments so adjusted. I'm walking on their toes and then at home it comes out. Um, so take a, take what the caregivers say serious. Uh, and if you also then get to understand that it's a physical problem and not a behavioral problem and that it overcomes these children, that really, yeah, it's really logical if you think like the two brain, the two half of the brain cannot communicate with each other uh, in the way that it can communi- communicate or in the way that it should communicate with each other, then it's, yeah, if you get to understand that, then these children can get really the recognition and care they need also from professionals. So, yeah, that's also I wanted to add. Wonderful. I'm so, I'm so thankful to be speaking with you both today because you both are doing, not only are you both doing such amazing work in FASD advocacy, but you're sharing a lot of the, the same thoughts and the same feedback that so many others have shared. So it really just focuses that this is a global problem. This is a global crisis that we need to recognize and, and we need to work together. And it also reinforces to me that we can have hope, but we also need to be realistic and say, okay, like, Damie said, 
if, if you have a structured environment, if you have, you know, the support, if you have organization that will help your child. So I I'm just, again, thankful for this conversation. And I am amazed about all of the wonderful work that you both are doing, you know, through the initiatives, through the FAS project, through everything. So again, I like to end our episodes on hope and words of hope for the people who are listening. Damie, let's start with you as, as a foster parent with a lot of lived experience with FASD, what words of hope can you offer to, to those listening? Well, um, I came from a very difficult period, but now I have uh, organized everything well around my foster child. Uh, he's, uh, he actually uh, functions like any other child because of this. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of it is clearly uh, clarity and uh, positive parenting. Um, what I did wrong at first was that I was criticizing things that did not go well. Um, I then look uh, a course in, I took a course in uh, positive parenting. And I learned that if you put a lot of um, emphasis on what is going well, the child will do better and better. Uh, it's like in every child, there's a little uh, winner in, in, inside. And um, if, if he is motivated to uh, do uh, the things uh, uh, well that is asked from him, um, he, will, um, yeah, he, he will be motivated. And uh, at home, I have uh, a planning board that, uh, that lists everything that is going to happen each day and, uh, and what he has to do. So instead of uh, talking to uh, him about what he hasn't done yet, I ask him if he has done everything from that board. And that puts him in control of what he has to do. And this way, uh, uh, he is in control of what he has to do. And I don't have to talk uh, to him about what is not going uh, well, but he gets the chance to uh, correct himself. And uh, this has improved my life so much. But uh, at the same time, it has made uh, him more independent. And... Um, when you think like a child with FASD and you see the world through his eyes, then you have gained so much and you can work on improvements and um, yeah, the improvement that is what you will get. So yeah, my, my message of hope is uh, place yourself inside of uh, the head of this, of, of your, uh, your uh, FASD child. And, um make everything clear around him and um it it will help yourself but it will help this child so much and that is my experience and what i would um uh, spread uh, uh, as a word of hope to all the families that are struggling right now what wonderful words of hope, Damien. And I was writing all of these down so that people will be able to see them because I just, I am so thankful for what you're sharing. And I know that people 
who are listening, who need to hear those words of hope will, they, they will very much appreciate it. Luca, how about you? Yeah, first of all, I really want to thank you to Natalie for having us here and that we can share our experiences, experiences together. And I would, yeah, if I would say something, I, I really like that the focus is on hope because that's also um, what our project is about. We, it stands or falls with like how these children see the world. And it's not only sorrow and frustration and, and anger and, and anxiety. It's also a lot of uh, humor and fun and creative creativity. And that's also who they are. And it's um, so they're so energetic, so joyful. That's also what we want to show how they, what Amy said, if you can see the, the world through their eyes, it also brings you a lot. So really focus on the good parts, things that work well, the moments of success and the moments of hope. And that I hear from a lot of parents that their vision and way of looking at the world also really changed that it brought them a lot when uh, because they got, got into situations they would never come into if it wasn't for the for the child. Um, yeah, so and also the moments that what I earlier said, sometimes a child forgets how to tie up his shoelaces. And the next day he can remember it or how to uh, see what the time is. And the next next week he can he or she can remember it again. And there are also moments that you can celebrate. Yay! You know, he or she knows. Yay! <laughs> so uh, yeah, to also bring lightness and and the hope, and that's what we also try to do in our project. Yeah, that's that's our message. Wonderful. And again, I'm writing all of these ho- words of hope down so that our, our listeners can see them in our social media posts. Demi Monter and Lucas Schrut. I said it again. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. And I hope you both will come back again sometime, maybe uh, the end of this year or next year to give us an update about what important work that you're doing uh, in the Netherlands. So Damie and Luca, thank you for being on FASD Hope. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week, and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.